0: Here's your almanac for tilling the cultural soil with the conversations we plant with humor, faith, and wisdom. Here's your hosts, Dr. Peter Kapsner, Carmen LeBurge, and I'm Nat. Welcome to The Till.
1: Hey, it's a new year. Welcome to The Till with Peter Kapstner. I am Carmen LeBurge. Nat Becker is here as well. Good morning, gentlemen.
0: Good morning. Morning, Carmen. Good
1: morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So uh, at the beginning of a new year, lots of people make resolutions. Uh, My guess is that many people um, have already failed to keep the resolutions that they have made. (laughs) I think that for Christians, the conversation um, can be more robust and it can be about um, why we would seek to be different in the year ahead than we have been in the year past. Like, what would be the motivation to um to live differently to have some portion or part of my life look different a year from now than it does now and the steps that I would be taking to get there. So um I think that for Christians there's a, there's a motivation question and then there is this question of of sort of how we go about doing it. So um Peter let's let's just lead off with you. Thoughts uh thoughts in this arena.
2: Yeah, I, you know it's funny. You you referenced the motivation question. I don't know if you guys uh, thought of or made any resolutions this year. I did not, quite frankly, and and honestly, I can't remember the last time that I got to uh, January first and thought, man, I really need to change something about a relationship or a behavior or, or something in my life. And that is not to say I don't need to. Uh, clearly, <laughs> there's any number of things that I would need to change. So don't misunderstand that. It just for some reason it's not on my radar. And I I think partly. It's because a little bit of what you said just a, a minute ago, Carmen, where, you know, it's, I'm sitting here, it's the 3rd of January, it's uh, 8.15 your time, I'm over in Scotland, it's 2.15 my time, and any time that I've ever tried to sort of, quote, set my mind something, to, to, to do something, to make a change, um, I would say three days would be, um, if I could last three days to this moment, uh, historically, uh, trying to make a change in my life, I would have been pretty proud of myself. I usually would have otherwise made the resolution, let's say 10 o'clock on the 31st of December. And by 10 o'clock the next morning, uh, when I'm finally waking up from staying up past midnight as an old guy, I would have already forgotten about the resolution. So I think I kind of gave up that idea. I don't know if the two of you do resolutions, but uh, I I, I sort of think I know why I gave it up. But I'd be curious what you guys do for resolutions. I just haven't done them for a while. I'm
1: going to let let Nat answer that because... You know, I'm old. So,
2: <laughs> you and I, Carmen, you and I combined are over a hundred years old. Like we are almost biblical age at this point. You know, you know? that's and, that's so. Actually,
1: that's so the way that people advertise things too. Like we have more than a hundred years of experience on our team and you're like well if you have 10 people on your team then they're none of them have any experience (laughs) at all but yeah all right nat
0: nat what are you thinking man Our 120 years combined uh, i generally (laughs) my my sort of like stance at least in the past has been my like singular new year's resolution is not to make a new year's resolution like i know it's sort of pointless but i it just i'm gonna break it and uh i don't know i'm not a huge fan of that the whole build up and style to resolutions so i typically try not to that's not to say that i don't have plans of things i want to change but i don't know i don't usually phrase them as new year's resolutions
2: so it helps it all matt i basically i have a li- an ongoing list i've been working on with you it's about 10 to 12 <laughs> long so if you do need some insight about some things you want to change i'd be happy to provide it's only 10 to 12 long <laughs> want, i just <laughs> I, I scrawled it out quickly as a rough draft so yeah okay
0: thanks
1: Well, Nat says it's only 10 to 12 long because we have pages for you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Pages. Carmen, do you do resolutions? Where where, where are you at with that? So
1: we don't use that. We don't use that language necessarily. Um, So at, at the end of every year in anticipation of the next year, I have a few like processes that I go through. None of these are really refined to the point that i could say oh you know i think this is worth sharing with other people but um but i'll share them here in the form that uh that i did them this year because every year is a little bit different um and there's i think different images that work for different people so um Mm -hmm. one one process is the the kind of fruit inspection to take the fruit list That I am supposed to be, there's supposed to be an ever greater abundance of each of these things evident in my life year over year. um, You know, if I am genuinely not only growing in Christ, but being a productive agent of Christ in the world. So can I look at 2019 versus 2018 or 2010 or however long back you want to go? Like, can I actually see more evidence of love, Mm. more evidence of joy? Mm -hmm. More evidence of peace, more evidence of patience, or kindness, or generosity, or I mean, like great, or self self control. Self control is always the one that for me, I'm like, oh, that just (laughs) I don't have enough of that in my fruit salad, right? I just don't. And so, (laughs) if I'm doing my own personal fruit inspection, um, you know, self control would be the one that you know generally needs needs attention. So that would be one approach. The other um, the other approach uh, is 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 simply the asking the question. So if if this is the day that the Lord has made, um, and this is the year of the Lord, how like how well did I do? Just sort of based on my own judgment of the year past. How yeah. how well did I give God every day as a day that He has made, and in every in every day or week or month, however I'm able to look at it. Did I really live this year in a way that it was the year of the Lord or, Mm. you know, not the year of Carmen, but the year of the Lord? Like, what does that look like for it to be the year of the Lord? Because every year, I mean, like this year for the Chinese, it's the year of the rat, but it's the year of the Lord for Christians. Every single year is a year of the Lord. So how am I intentionally... Living this year as a year uh, of the Lord, and part of that includes a Bible reading plan and a discipleship plan. Like, how am I growing? What am I reading? Where in the Word am I? Those kinds of things.
2: Yeah, and I and I think um, what I appreciate about the new year like this is it kind of even though it's it's somewhat artificial. I mean, the the, the first of January from a global perspective, universe perspective, isn't substantively different than the, than the thirty first of December. But for us, as we're marking time on calendars, there is sort of this. Threshold moment from one year to the next, and I know we we practice in our family some some things that you referenced, here, Carmen, because you talked about looking back a little bit. It is something that we do both at the turning of the calendar from one year to the next, but we also do it during uh, times of birthdays in our family. And we've got seven of us in our family with the five kids, and so we do this sort of often. But my uh, 13, now 14-year-old, just had his birthday on the 27th of December. And what we do at the end of the day on a birthday for our kids or even Hallie and myself is we say, so let's look back at the past year and and do exactly what you just described. What are what are some things from this past year that we would want to carry forward into the new year of our life? Uh, and what are some things that we would like to leave behind, Some some practices or behaviors or desires or attitudes or whatever it might be? that would be really inconsistent with God's kingdom. And uh, and as we cross the threshold into an, a new year of our life or a new year on the calendar, what would be some things that we wanna take forward and not just take forward, but begin to increase and build upon and uh, and possibly see an expansion of. And so I love your fruit of the spirit salad as it were as sort of this template to think about what are some ways in which I can authentically grow in kingdom life in God's kingdom now, I can try to make a resolution to do that. I'm really gonna become more loving this year or something. But what I find when I do that is that again, my willpower and the capacity to change habits, uh, that's a pretty tricky process that's fraught with a lot of danger too. But, but I like what you're saying in the sense of we're at the threshold time where we can look back as to where we've been and invites us to look forward about the kinds of things that we would wanna shift in our life.
0: Maybe maybe I've cheated here because I listened to the eight or so minutes that you talked briefly on this topic uh, a couple of days ago on The Morning Show. Yeah, but... well, you can work on cheating in the new year, Nat. That's perfect. Oh.
1: <laughs> we call that preparation. It's good.
0: Yeah, i prep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, preparation's better. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's better. Um, it's how I like to phrase cheating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah but... That's what's <laughs> Well, it— The whole New Year's resolution deal, it it puts all the responsibility of making all the changes on you, right? Like, I've set myself up that me and in it of of myself, I'm going to move forward and do better. And I don't know, but in my uh, 21-ish years of experience, uh, whenever I decide to uh, take 100% control of me and make all changes, it, it, it rarely works. Like, I'm pretty bad at just, like, becoming better just by myself,
1: Right. Well, you're not by yourself. Right. right. So, I mean, as a Christian, this this process that we're talking about is the process of active sanctification and it's so it's moment by moment yielding um to the Holy Spirit within me that I am going to I'm going to cooperate. I am going to joyfully submit to the Holy Spirit who already know the good already knows the good works that God has planned in advance for me. And the Holy Spirit is within me, in my mind and in my body as a temple of the Spirit, um, working out God's will, bringing me into ever greater conformity with who Christ is. And so if I recognize that this is a cooperative effort um, in which I am yoked to the one who's doing all the work, right, yeah. then I have a better yeah. chance of, of getting all the way to the end of the row that needs to be plowed, right? I am not going to yeah. plow this row by myself, Um, Because you're right, Nat. I am going to fail. I do not have the willpower, but I do have the Holy Spirit.
0: I wonder if that's a language that needs to be incorporated more often into to this this uh, crossing the threshold or sort of New Year's resolution and discussions, though. Yeah, I think think think
1: absolutely.
2: Yeah, I think you're so right. I love that you use the word sanctification, Carmen. And I remember my my head exploding at one point during my seminary time with a professor who. He actually uh, sort of did this move within the biblical text that helped clarify some things for me that I hadn't seen up until that time, and, and that was that we were getting ready to start our two-week unit on the topic of salvation in the biblical text, and we were going to cover it over the course of about eight hours in two class periods, and the very first thing that he said that really, truly, I, for all of us young, aspiring pastors, I mean, we almost just melted down on the spot, his, his first f- phrase that he says, he says, well, I'm not saved, and we thought, what in the world are you talking about? Are you, you're a Christian theology professor and you are not saved. You get down here right now, young man. We're trained in the arts of saving you. We'll get this sorted out <laughs> uh, kind of idea. And what he did is he ended up um, talking about maybe a misperception that all that salvation is and all that it entails is some future event that is synonymous with heaven when we die. So if, if we're saved... Basically, we tend to think that we are positioned properly for heaven and that we're going to avoid the fires of hell. And and he talked about just even historically, and maybe this is the subject for another podcast, but he talked about where that notion came into existence and how new that sort of reductionistic view of salvation might be. Uh, And he started pointing us through the biblical text and through theological history Uh, Over the course of the next six, seven hours, that talked about the idea that salvation, it simply means in the biblical text to be rescued from and then to engage in the process of healing or or, uh, the idea that I'm now coming back into alignment with what I was meant for from the beginning. And so he said this is an active process in our life over and over again, where old theologians used to say things like, I've been saved, I'm being saved, and, and I will be saved. And what he, what he said was that there is a process in our life that salvation, as it's active in our life, does the sanctification. And Jesus is the only one who can save or rescue us from those strongholds or powers of sin in our life that seem to trip us up by the first or second or third of January when we can't change anything. It's because we can't deal with sin. I mean, for Pete's sake, we if we could deal with sin in ourselves, we wouldn't need a Savior. And uh, it was this beautiful invitation to say maybe Jesus is real every single day of our lives, and we can lean into our real Savior through the power of his Spirit every day in our lives. And as we do, we are increasingly rescued from the power of sin in our life and increasingly being made whole according to those fruits that you referenced. We're, we're meant to be people of love and joy and peace and patience and all of these things. And so as the active power of salvation is at work in our life, we are then uh, by virtue of that, sanctified in our lives as well. And I think that's the difference for me in terms of uh, making a resolution of my own willpower. It just doesn't ever go well. I can't deal with the internal sin that I have to, to make that shift and thus need a savior who is more than just a symbol of blood that I believe in to get into heaven, but, but an active rescuer in my life. And, uh, and boy. When we talk about that, I've got way too many examples from my life, um though i though I'm grateful for them, but of an an ongoing power of sin that I needed rescued from and eventually, in Jesus's way that he does it, um sort of crossed the threshold from death to life at at certain points. and again, I could give plenty of examples of that,
1: yeah, that I was saved when conversation is um is really powerful. I do think that we have reduced the gospel in our culture um to you know, just this formula of whether or not you have punched your ticket or bought your fire insurance or however you want to, um, to think about it in terms of it's just, it's just the way that I am going to ensure that I go to heaven. And that is a horrible reduction of what, Mm -hmm. um, Christ died that we might have, which is life, real life, life abundant, um, That we would live as ambassadors of the king and the kingdom, witnesses, uh, people of light, salt, I mean, on and on and on, sowers of peace. The list is very long of the things that, uh, of the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do in the here and now as people who are saved and being saved and extending salvation to others. I mean, I I think that um, there's probably a fancy grammar term for the kind of verb that salvation is.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like and, it's and probably was-
1: like perfect. Is it like perfect tense or something, which is, means that it's it happened and it's always happening or something like that?
2: Yeah, I'm sure there's, and, and I don't know my Greek tense as well enough. I'm sure there's some imperative, indicative, past, presence thing that yes, I don't really exactly. understand. I can say right, you know. I've, my husband I,
1: should my should Jim listen to this podcast? He's now rolling his eyes.
2: He is, he is. I know we're we're supposedly, you know, with a hundred years of wisdom and and some scholarship in our background, we should know this stuff, Carmen. But we just, you know, well that's that's where we need to grow. Now, can you look that stuff up? You're you're the crack research staff of the till. I, I could, but grammar is really not my strength.
1: No, it's all good.
2: So well, I think I, I was just going to say quickly as an example of it, just to you know get from concept to real life. Um, I remember when my first son Caleb was born, and uh, it was while I was in seminary, and so and and that was not the plan, right? I mean, Hallie and I were planning to get through school, then have a family, and blah blah blah, that whole thing that you do. And so it was a surprise that uh, we were. Well, I mean, it wasn't a surprise; we knew how it happened, but it was a surprise that we were pregnant. Um, and I remember like feeling multiple emotions in the midst of that. And uh, the joy and the love that you should and, and rightfully experience as a father. But I had this other sort of nagging thing going on that, well, now I've got a new responsibility in my life. And it wasn't like a healthy sense of responsibility. It's like, oh, I'm gonna have to give up some of the things that I want to do because I have a responsibility to take care of. And, and I don't know the last time you guys checked, but I don't think it's really, it feels great when somebody says that you're my responsibility. Like, that just doesn't make me feel super happy if somebody looks at me and say, yeah, I'll take care of you because you're my responsibility. Um, And so Hallie and I talked about that and wondered, is it possible to see something shift in this that Caleb is, there's no longer any sense of just responsibility that I would act on and for and on behalf of him simply because there was love pouring for me towards him and and I wanted to do that. And that was a pretty painful, long process to engage with and wonder about my own self-centeredness and wonder about... Uh, my own self-absorption and all of those things. But I'll never forget the moment that he was probably about a year old. And I walked into his bedroom one morning because I heard him squawk and and decided to go get him as the sun was coming up. And he put his little hands on the crib rails of our crib and he pulled his little face over the top of those crib rails and he smiled. And I stood there and (laughs) using the word threshold again, uh, the threshold actually of his bedroom and just wept for joy that was unfettered for my son. And so all of the love and joy that I had already was now completely unfettered. There was no more just sense of responsibility either. It just was was there. I can't make that kind of thing happen. I could have resolved several years in a row to be a better father to my son, but I would have failed miserably had I tried to do all that work myself because I can't overcome my own self-absorption and self-centeredness. So that that would be an example I would suggest of active salvation. I was rescued from something and brought to life in a different kind of way.
0: Hmm. well, The verb tense is indeed the future perfect. Mm, Love it. And it's kind of funny you should bring up the story because I had this wacky professor in in, in college back in my college days. (laughs) Uh, Back in your college? Three days ago? That's okay. (laughs) If you can think back that far. (laughs) Hey, hey, Christmas break. It's a long time. Uh, I love it. uh, Who who brought that up and just like managed to pull all the oxygen out of the air in, in, in the classroom? He's like, I am not saved. I think was the opening words of this class and it, and, and it was just like absolute dead, dead silence and shock and <laughs> and, and I don't know. we were in seminary, so I don't know that we could have saved you in that moment, but <laughs> yeah uh,
1: So what you're telling us, Nat, is that uh, Peter Kapsner um, adapted something that a seminary professor did when he was a student and and used it uh, as a as a teaching tool in a classroom. Yes.
0: 100% and now you have
1: it. learned the origin of the practice
0: <laughs> you have I, I revealed my
2: secrets this was the not origin my, story of you know, archangel is now Michael coming and showing me this stuff <laughs> so yes
1: <laughs> so I hear us you know I hear us saying that we're gonna encourage um, uh, people to think about exchanging resolutions for thresholds um, yes. and uh, and part of that is is sort of exchanging the um, the me for the. I've heard that as part of this conversation, that this is a work that God is doing. This is actually not a work that I am resolving to do. This is a step of faith that I am taking um, from an old life into a new life that God has promised. And I'm going to trust that he's going to do the work and carry me and all those kinds of images. Um, I also think that we are talking about exchanging what the world would consider behavior modifications for mm. um, for uh, sanctified life. Like it, this is not about me just getting you know healthier or you know having better relationships. This is actually about me becoming more Christ-like. Like that's a yeah. that's a much better motivation for me.
2: Gosh, Carmen, how did you say that you said exchanging what behavior modifications for?
1: I don't know, maybe sanctification. I don't know. I'm making it up as I go, man. I'm flying. Yeah, the know, I know. But
2: it's yeah. <laughs> but that's really a powerful idea um, because what I'm hearing in that, and I don't know what your guys' experiences with this, but. I'm hearing that there can be an actual authentic Christ-likeness that's being birthed within us, that it's not where I'm just trying to modify be- my behavior to look like I'm Christ-like on the outside, where in mm. the inside, I'm pretty much a spiritual zoo, right? And and, and I think some of the um, understandable critiques of the church being hypocrites is simply because the, people might hide their interior world as they try to modify their exterior behavior, and, and I can certainly say I'm hypocritical on a number of levels. Um, if I was to look inside my interior world and, and see some of the passions, desires, interests that are there that still are going to be self-absorbed or self-centered or any number of things, um, I'm certainly not going to try to act that way out in the world. But what you're suggesting is that I could actually become Christ-like from the inside out so my behavior begins to naturally flow from the desires and passions that I have internally.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right.
2: Um, So, yeah,
1: yeah, no, I mean, I think that's exactly right. So as we um, I have one quick little um, Scottish uh, folklore note today on the concept of thresholds. So um, the first person who passes over the threshold of a home or a household on New Year's Day is the bringer of the good news.
2: Oh, really? Yes, it has. I mean,
1: I know it's It's called the first foot it's the first foot so we want to be the we want to be the person of the first foot it has a monks gallic q u a a i mean it's crazy spelling (laughs) but it's about being the first foot so we want to be the people of the first foot into every door in this new year as the bringers of good
2: news All right. Welcome back to The Till. We are here in the first part of January. Carmen and Nat and myself, Peter Kapsner, talking about uh, different things around thresholds. And Carmen, say it one more time again, just as a reminder, we're, we're exchanging resolutions for what here? Much more of a Christian view of heading into the new year.
1: Yeah. Exchanging resolutions for thresholds. These things that we are going to we're going to leave things behind um, as we step forward uh, with that first foot using this using this image from Scottish heritage. Uh, to be the people who are the bringers of good news. And in that, we're being actually transformed by, by the Holy Spirit with whom we're cooperating within us. I mean, I just think that um, if I'm resolving to do something, then it's about me. And if I'm actually stepping across a threshold that God has invited me you know, into a new life and of living my life in a different way because of Jesus, um, that's, that's just much more hope-filled and feels, um, feels more possible that I could actually leave something on the other side of the door.
2: Yeah, I love that. And and I think, you know, in light of that, too, you you texted me the other day the word strongholds, which I haven't heard that word for quite some time, but it very much is a a Christian word in the sense that it's been part of the Christian experience in some negative ways, I think, in all of our lives for a number of years. But I would say that when I hear that kind of word, there's a little bit of a skepticism in me because it Mm -hmm. involves some sort of realm of the spirit. And what's interesting about that for me is that in our first segment, we're all sort of claiming that we can actively access a non-material though very real invisible being that being named Jesus and and through the power of his spirit experience change. And if that's the case, then I would suggest by definition, according to the biblical witness, there also is the powers of darkness that are at play with all of this as well. And and I think that's something that at least for me, I don't know, I'd I'd be curious for you guys uh, to chime in on this. But I think I've underestimated or maybe even didn't fully understand and don't know that I still do what some of the active opposition might be that can lead to some strongholds that, that make it just that much more difficult to change some of these things in my life. And I guess the last piece of that is I think it was a theological friend of mine that pointed out at one point that uh, sin is more, there's more than just an activity that we do. It's like some sort of I lie, therefore I sin, or I cheat like Nat does, and therefore I sin, or uh, anything along those lines, that sin is actually an act of power that is increasingly enslaving us. And so it's not static, it's dynamic in the sense that we get more and more and more and more enslaved by it, it gets its grip and its hold more and more and more upon us. And so I don't know, those are some of my reflections on strongholds, both some of my cynicism, skepticism, but also the belief that they exist, and they can be really hard to deal with. So I don't know what your background is with that idea.
1: So a stronghold in, um, I mean, sort of the easiest way to get people to sort of visually think about this is uh, is in military terms. And so when an enemy sets up a stronghold against us, um, so this is good guys and bad guys now, um, you know, a stronghold is exactly what it sounds like. It is uh, it is an effort by the enemy um, to have an outpost in our life um, and to set it up. In in direct opposition to the good godliness that um, you know that that the Lord intends, and so it, it can be anything. A stronghold can be anything that sets itself up in our lives in direct opposition to goodness and godliness, and and it is powerful. Um, it is about the enemy. Uh, it is spiritual, and it is something that um, we have to. We have to use spiritual weapons in terms of overcoming. And so the overcomer language is really important here. Um, I think that, uh, when we talk about this kind of, um, of reality in our lives, it could be an addiction. It could be something that is simply in us, um, has been in us for so long in terms of the way we were raised or the way that we have thought about ourselves, um, for a very long time, because of the culture in which we have grown up—I mean, a stronghold can be anything. Um, I think about white supremacy as a stronghold in our culture today, um, and and it's really something against which most of us um, need to do some spiritual work, uh, and that and only God's going to be able to do that. I mean, it's, it's only God is going to be able to get us to the place where we actually believe that. We stand on equal footing with people of every tribe and, and pigmentation um, and, mm. and color and tongue. Stand on equal footing at creation, equal footing at the cross, and equal footing in the kingdom. I mean, only God is going to do that work in the heart of man. So when we, when we think about strongholds, it could be addiction, but it also could be a way of thinking about something, ourselves or others, that has become a stronghold because of the culture in which we live. Hmm.
2: Hmm. Yeah, that's, and, and that, that speaks to the idea used use. White supremacy probably speaks to why no amount of governmental policy is going to be able to shift something like that, because there isn't any kind of external pressure or force that can, uh, from from a worldly standpoint, change a generational reality that I think really does speak to strongholds. And, and Nat, I mean, is this language that you grew up with in the church still? So again, I know I went through a pretty extended season where dealing with strongholds was sort of part of the
0: the way the church life was being practiced but was is this part of your journey? It actually wasn't really. Uh I don't I think the first time I sort of came into to the idea of strong well I mean I guess the idea has always been there but the first time I've run across the language of strongholds was uh when I you know went to uh went to university and um sort of in in this Christian evangelical context is really the first time I came across the the word. So I it's kind of new but You know, as a thought, of course, it's been there. Like, it, it, hmm, it, it's around, but it's it's also a little bit uncomfortable.
2: Yeah, does does it make you guys? Yeah. and I'd be, I mean, Carmen, have you heard, I confess, I haven't heard great teaching on this. My, I guess back mm. to my cynicism for a second is that I'm afraid that then what I'm, what I should do is just get with a group of people and pray really hard. And, and mm. the louder I say Jesus's name, the more capacity he will have then to somehow break the stronghold. And yet my, my theology suggests that, that it's very true that Jesus breaks stronghold, but I don't understand or know the practice of it. And that, have you had any kind of teaching on this? So some,
1: yes, and, um, and I would say that part of this is just a process of identifying strongholds. So it, okay. in, and it's, it may be easier to sort of look around the world and identify them, um, than it is to sort of look in the mirror and see our own. Um, I think that for some people, the concept of besetting sin, that sin that we, mm. the vomit as that we continue to return to for the yeah. disgusting spiritual image of this. Um, but, you know, so it can be the concept of a besetting sin, but it can also be, um, something like anger. Um, anger is actually identified as like the primary stronghold, um, mm. in scripture. And so w- now anger is a natural human emotion. And so there are and there's justifiable anger and there's righteous anger. But there's also anger. I mean, did you see the pope slap the hand of the woman in the line in the receiving line? Like, right. This is not godly. Right. You don't slap yeah. people down for touching you. Um, but in that moment, um, the the pope, like, you know, he he revealed that he's still human right? Anybody that thinks that the Pope is completely sanctified and already God, um, learned, learned pretty quickly that, you know what, even the Pope can reach a point of exhausted patience and strike out in anger. Now, do I think that the Pope has an anger problem? Probably not. I mean, like, right, there are, like, there's all kinds of reasons that we do things that, um, are, uh, are expressions of anger. But, um, we, and we've all heard passages like, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Um, because why? Because it gives the devil a foothold. Once you give the devil yeah. a foothold, yeah. he can begin to build a stronghold. And so I think that's the kind of conversation that we have to learn how to have. Is this righteous anger? Is this anger that is giving the devil a foothold? Um, how am I going to process through this anger with whoever it is? that I'm angry with um, before I let the sun go down on it, because otherwise it's going to fester. It's going to turn it. It's going to take, it's going to become a root of bitterness in my relationship. Bitterness is another stronghold. It produces a stronghold of unforgiveness. You can see how these begin to pile up and these become like concentric barrier walls in the stronghold that we give um, once we give the devil a foothold. So does that kind of, are those some, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, no, that's super helpful. I mean, as you're sort of outlining it in those ways, and and again, unfortunately, in my own journey of life, I can sort of I, I can attest to and give witness to that sort of idea of what you said is that something gets a little bit of a foothold in your life, and then this kind of active reality and these circles begin to build up, and pretty soon, I'm acting and thinking in ways in life before I'm even thinking about what I'm acting and thinking about. If that if that makes sense, it sort of just becomes the way that I'm doing life, and uh, and those that boy, oh boy, that can be a really dangerous and destructive kind of place on so many different levels. And I, it strikes me, I don't know what for some first steps would be out of that as people are listening and thinking about, wow, maybe I have some of these things in my life. But it strikes me that maybe some measure of humility might, might be a starting point to say, look, I am not going to try to justify or defend my thought life or my behavior life any further. I, there really is something amiss and something distorted going on. And, uh, and I'm going to need to deal with that. Is that a first step potentially just a a willingness to say, Hey, look, uh, I am a bit of a zoo (laughs) right now Mm -hmm. and uh, and I need some help and change.
1: Yeah. And so then I think the very next step is to say, what is the godly characteristic um, Hmm. that, that answers this? So God is what God is slow to anger and abounding in love. So I'm if I'm quick to grow angry um, and quick to, you know, strike out in anger, um, I need to recognize I need to you know, just acknowledge, you know, Lord, you are slow to anger and you are abounding in love. So um, the places in my heart where this anger is residing, where I have clearly allowed um, the enemy to get a foothold in my life, I need your grace. I need your grace to um, to help me see it. I need your grace to help me cooperate moment by moment with the Holy Spirit to to actually dig that out. That's gonna hurt. That's gonna be a process um, of being, you know, pruned deeply in this area. But I wanna be a person who is like you, slow to anger and abounding in love. And so I'm gonna repent of the ways that I have um clung to anger or relied on anger or used anger. Um and I not because I want to grow in your love. I want I want the fruit of love and the fruit of patience instead so that's the replacement that's the threshold i want I want to seek to leave behind this life of anger and I want instead to walk across this threshold and become a person who is abounding in love and is patient with other people including myself
2: mm. yeah and as you're talking I'm thinking about just how rarely it is in my own life when when I've wanted that kind of reality that uh how rarely it happens just overnight like as if God is some sort of genie in the bottle. And if I say X or make a wish, then or pray really hard one night, then the next morning, everything's going to shift. And and I think that could be a potential frustration place for a lot of us that might want to walk through something like you described, identifying what's wrong, but even more importantly, identifying the target towards which we want to go. That that seems like that could be a a fairly long process that is multifaceted and and may take some time to really experience the kind of freedom for all this just sort of hideous residue that's stuck all over us from the sinful way of life. I I don't know if that resonates, but I know certainly my students have expressed frustration over the years of saying, I really, really, really want something to change.
0: And yet uh, it doesn't seem to just change overnight. I I heard something the other day that was kind of interesting. And so I'd be curious on your comment. Looking at sin, sort of as the sum of, of vectors, sort of like of all the components that go into it. So this would just be maybe a a fraction that that plays into this, but a sort of structural and societal sort of upbringing that leads towards um, mm. some of our you know sinful behavior. And so that in part has to do with the society we grow up. In part, our you know our training. So it's not to you know, this is just a portion of it. But as far as like strongholds, maybe. Growing up in a society that encourages, you know, stuff that's sort of, you know, against our our godly beliefs is going to make it naturally way harder for us to to fight this, right? Like you now have to fight yeah. a society and stuff. Uh, I don't know.
2: Yeah, no, I I think it's Walter Wink, a theologian who, when he talks about spiritual warfare. He tends to talk about it in terms of what you just described, Nat, and that is the sort of the structural environment in which we grow up, and so in America being so hyper individualistic and so sort of be whatever you want to be and the self-absorption that comes with that, that even at a very early age, we're swimming in the waters of self-absorption and not even really realizing it. And and he talks about that, that you can go society by society by society and see sort of this structural warfare or the mm. the waters. And they're different waters by country and country and city and city oftentimes, but he wouldn't necessarily suggest that there is a specific demonic being over every city or anything, but he would say exactly what you just described, that there is there is a force of some kind that is wreaking havoc and we often don't even know that it's wreaking havoc in sort of the structures of society. Yeah, I'd be curious, you guys, we just have about, what, maybe six, seven minutes left in the episode. And as this is the the till, we do also like to till up things that are happening around us. And of course, 2020 is uh, upon us and we're at the start of it here. I don't know what kind of look ahead predictions you want to do if we sort of leave behind for now the, the conversation on thresholds and strongholds. But looking ahead, whether it's Politically or athletically or uh, spiritually or f- familiarly, if that's a word, you know, from a family standpoint. I mean, what do you
0: what, you guys have any predictions for 2020 in any of these different categories as we're sort of following what happens around the world this morning? Well, yesterday morning, I picked up Harris Farmer's Almanac for the year oh. of our Lord 2020. So I was looking for the predictions <laughs> of uh, sort of sort of of this month uh, as you we were talking about it. And it says that uh, January uh, of 20. Uh, the coldest days are supposed to be like January first january second uh January sixth and nine uh it, it's interesting these the Almanac really does set out a lot of of predictions and information on on uh, sort of the weather patterns and planting seasons um, and just just as it relates to the till I thought it was appropriate since I'd never actually read an almanac uh almanac so looking into. <laughs>
1: So Peter, do year. you have, are you are you um, are you resisting the same temptation that I'm resisting, which is to you know like quote something from Luke chapter twelve? <laughs> uh,
2: well, I guess I'd have to know my Luke chapter twelve a little better. What? Uh, oh, what, oh what are you, what yeah. Are you to say
1: it's just well, I don't want to make Nat feel bad. No. But this whole this whole notion that we you know Jesus is Jesus is saying you know you guys are so good at looking at the horizon and forecasting the weather, but you don't know how to read the signs of the times in which you live. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so, (laughs) I know. I know. That's my
2: 2020 life verse. I'm taping that to my steering wheel. I like that.
1: (laughs) So I do think that um, for me, it is less about the weather and more about um, whether or not we are reading the signs of the times in which we live. Um, Some things I'm anticipating as a Christian uh, and as you know, as a person who seeks to take the headline news and apply the mind of Christ every day, um, I'm certainly anticipating a, an increase um, in persecution, uh, both here in the United States and around the world, for what I will describe as religious minorities, including Christians, but also, you know, the Uyghurs in China. Um, uh, I would I would add to that uh, the, the very likelihood of hot war um, yeah. between yep. Iran and Uh, Many others, including us, Um, I would say on the political front, the 2020 presidential election and and the elections surrounding that, um, I expect to be top of mind and top of conversation and that we as Christians are going to have to learn how to um, speak well of one another in the midst of those conversations. I think that's going to be difficult. I think the very term evangelical or evangelicals or evangelicalism, is going to have to be constantly defined and redefined every time it is used Mm -hmm. um, by us or others, um, Mm. because I think that, you know, so many seeking to co-opt it for their own political ends. Um, You know, I think on the life front, uh, I would expect the Supreme Court to um, actually reconsider Roe v. Wade. I think that's going to be the big issue um, nationally this year in terms of what the Supreme Court takes up. I also think that uh, Congress is going to press forward on the Equality Act, and, uh, and we as Christians are going to have to know how, how are we going to balance our religious freedom and our expression of the faith in every area of life if, in fact, uh, the U.S. government at a federal level uh, makes it a crime to in any way suggest that someone's um, you know, sexuality or sexual expression uh, is is beyond the bounds of what's appropriate. So I just think those are yeah. some of the things for me that I'm I'm watching and looking at.
2: Yeah, and those are good ones. A lot of those are ones that I share as well. Uh, going back to Nat for just a second, uh, in terms of the almanac and the weather patterns, I think one connecting point I have is we have some friends over here where I am currently in Scotland that their original home is Australia, and so I've been asking them a mm. little bit about the Australian fires and is it something that is. Um, exacerbated or sort of exaggerated by the news? Or is this actually as serious as, as what it appears to be outside looking in? And they said, no, it's it's really just that serious. And I don't know where I fall on climate change and, and, and uh, shifting weather patterns and all those sorts of things. I don't know how much of it is news driven and how much of it is actual. I know that they said the earth has warmed by one degree in the last 20 years when they thought it might be three or so. But I think just watching some of that, I'm just going to sort of stay in the middle on some of these things and be willing to shift my perspective in any direction And what is such a politically hot topic. But I definitely want to sort of stay abreast of those conversations, just sort of the global weather events as they were, just sort of have my interest. And again, I don't want to be swayed by all the political conversations. I really want to come to some better understanding myself of, of what's happening there. But I think, Carmen, what you just referenced about the hot war thing I mean, we're only just a few hours away, uh, removed from the headlines that I started reading last night and uh, catching wind of the fact that uh, President Trump had ordered a strike on what was one of the most significant, significant Iranian leaders. Uh, I don't know how to say his last name starts with an S, but it, but it sure sounds like, thank you. Yeah. So he Mm -hmm. obviously has, has been a, a pretty significant architect of war in Syria, as well as all of sort of the, Iranian militias that find themselves in different countries in the Middle East. And I don't know, I wasn't alive during the assassinations of Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert Kennedy and and JFK, but I I can't think of another more significant assassination um, beyond those three that, and certainly none that I've been alive for as to what just happened. So I would be very surprised if we don't find ourselves in a, a war of increasing sort of Oh, intensity and, uh, and different responses back and forth. I think once you start down this road, historically, it's pretty tough to come back from the precipice until there's a pretty big event that changes things one way or the other. So, so mm-hmm. quite a lot to see moving forward in the year ahead. And I agree with you, Carmen, last point, and then maybe you can wrap us up, is uh, I do think that uh, the increasing forces of secularization and government control in different corners of the world secularization of the West, government control, maybe in sort of the Eastern Asian seaboards is going to see uh, a heightened persecution of Christians in both uh, both parts of the world.
1: And I think it ultimately that comes down to a clash of worldviews. Um, certainly the worldview in China or North Korea or the worldview in Russia, the worldview in Iran. Um, I mean, we, the list is pretty long. Uh, we are not talking about people who share our worldview as Christians. And so how are we as Christians going to winsomely um, live the faith in such a way in front of other people uh, that they would, Mm. you know, they would literally see our good works and glorify God who is in heaven. Now, a part of that same passage is, um, you know, you may get to die doing it. Yeah, I I mean, persecution is real. And I'm just not sure that here in the United States, we we recognize um, the razor edge upon which many, many Christians around the world are living. And so uh, maybe in increasing our concern and prayer for our brothers and sisters with whom we're going to spend eternity, um, but who currently live across national borders um, from us, maybe that would be something that we could call everyone to in the new year.
2: Love it. Thanks so much, Carmen. And so on behalf of Nat Becker and Carmen LeBurge, this is Peter Kapsner. That wraps up our episode of
0: The Till. Catch us next time, and thanks for listening. The Till is hosted by Peter and Carmen, produced by me, Nat. So if you have any thoughts or comments, shoot us an email at thoughts at tillpodcast.com. And we'd love to hear from you till next week when we can till the cultural soil together.